You're now listening to The Call Up Podcast, streaming on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube. And now, here's your host, Kenny. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Call Up Podcast. I'm Kenny, and today we finally had our, we finally hit our gold. We got Chris Van Vliet here. We get to pick his brain and get to know him a little bit more. Chris, how are you? Kenny, thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, uh, man, we're so glad to have you here. I've talked about you so many times throughout these, you know, the, the many episodes I've done so far. Um, good things, I, I People hope. are just wondering, I was like, when was it going to have you on the show finally? So we finally got you here. We're going to finally pick your brain. Um, doing some research on you, there was something that was very interesting to me, you know, that I've Really didn't see throughout your posts, you know, or you really don't talk about it too much, but you won an award for bass fishing. <laughs> Man, you dove deep into this research. Yeah. I mean, I'm a passionate person, right? I'm super passionate mm-hmm. just by my personality type. So bass fishing has been a thing that's been a really big part of my life since I was a kid. I caught my first fish when I was four years old and pun intended, I was hooked uh-huh. And I've been fishing in bass tournaments since I was 14. And like I grew up in the Toronto area. So you fish around there and the Great Lakes are not far from there as well. And five years ago, my fishing partner and I, Aaron Andrews, who's one of my very best friends, we started a bass fishing company called Woo Tungsten. That's W-O-O exclamation mark Tungsten. We sell Tungsten bass fishing weights. So yeah, bass fishing, wrestling, broadcasting. These are things I'm super passionate about. And when I'm passionate about something, man, I, I dive all the way in. I don't Ooh. check the temperature of the water. I don't check the depth of the water. Let's dive in. Figure it out when we get there. When was the last time you went bass fishing? It's been a while. And I'm a little embarrassed to admit this because I own a bass fishing company. Mm-hmm. But when you own a fishing brand, you do a lot less fishing than you did before you started it because... I was living in Florida. I lived in Florida for five years. I was mm-hmm. living in South Florida, about an hour away from Lake Okeechobee. We're, by the way, we're going to go into the weeds here for a second with the bass fishing talk. About a, <laughs> an hour from Lake Okeechobee, which is one of the best bass fishing lakes in the world. And I owned a bass boat. So on weekends, I would hook it up to my pickup truck, drive to Lake Okeechobee, fish for the day, and then come back. And then I started to realize as I was building the business that was my time really the best spent on the lake, like waking up at 3.34 in the morning, hooking up the boat, driving to the lake, fishing, catching you know a handful of bass and back? Or was it better spent working in the business and on the business? So it's been a while. Now that I live in California, I'm near some pretty great bass fishing lakes here too. So it's just a matter of time till I get back out there. But I am uh, embarrassed to admit it used to be 150 days a year and it's nowhere close to that anymore. Well, you know, hopefully now with everything opening up, you will be able to uh, get out a lot more. But even with stuff opening up, that means you're just going to be a lot more busier now with, you know, with a lot more interviews. Well, look, we're all busy, right? It's just a matter of like, where do you want to point your time? We, we've true. all got a ton of stuff going on in our life. And it's just a matter of like, all right, which bucket am I going to like kind of pour some time out of and into mm-hmm. this other bucket? So maybe I need to take from the interview bucket or the working out bucket or I don't know any of these other but the content creating bucket and maybe pour it into the fishing bucket every once in a while right so you said you lived in um, Ontario Canada so you grew up at you were born and raised there 
And then you moved out to the States to pursue your dream a lot more um, after yeah. you had like a ton of gigs out there. So how was the transition from like being in Canada to like coming here to the States? So I moved when I was 26 and uh, mm -hmm. the first city I lived in was Cleveland, Ohio. And man, what a great city to be in. And also pretty close to home. I was about a five hour drive from my hometown just outside of Toronto. So it was great. And Cleveland welcomed me with open arms. And I have such a huge place in my heart for Cleveland, it's just such good people and so many great memories there. But I think when you grow up in Canada, so much of the culture there is definitely impacted by the US. Like all the television you're watching is American television. Most of the sports you're watching are American sports. Sure. I mean, we played hockey, watched hockey growing up, but still most of the teams in the NHL are American teams. So I feel like you're definitely influenced by American culture. And I took a lot of trips to the US when I was a kid. I mean, a drive to Buffalo, New York was not even two hours away. Wow. So there was a lot of that when you were a kid. So I was definitely aware of American culture. So when I did move to the US, it didn't feel like a huge culture shock at all. Although I will admit, Kenny, I had a really bad Canadian accent that I had to, <laughs> had to work on like dropping as I was mm -hmm. starting to pursue a career in the US. You know, it wasn't terrible. If you go back on YouTube and watch some really old videos like uh -huh. 07, 08, 09, you'll hear me <laughs> saying things like, sorry about that. We'll oh. get to that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that, that's a given because, you know, with with the accent and then, you know, coming over here, it'll, like slowly but surely it'll like, it'll go away. You know, uh, me growing up as a kid, I am from a Spanish household. So I learned Spanish first growing up. I was, no yeah. So me being a kid, I only spoke Spanish when I was that's younger. It. Yeah. So then when, when my parents finally, you know, they put me into school, I learned how to speak English while being in school. So like, you know, the teachers there taught me like proper English and how to say things. So like when I was around other people, they'd be like, you speak very well. I'm like, well, yeah, because I, I got taught in school. <laughs> Well, now you've got the perfect New York accent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now. And it's crazy because I like for me, I don't feel like I have an accent. But when I go other places, <laughs> that's the first thing that they will come out and say. They was like, you're not from around here. Yeah. And I love, I love going to Florida all the time and like different places. And they'll be like, yeah, you're not from here. And I'm like, well, where do you think I'm from? And I'm like, you're from New York. I yep. can hear it in your voice. Like, But I bet, I mean, your accent is so... It's not just New York. You have the Brooklyn accent. Yeah, yeah. And you know the crazy thing about it is, is like I've been living in Brooklyn now for the last uh, five years, but I've lived in the Bronx like all my life. But oh, no, that's you have the Bronx. You definitely have the Bronx accent. What am I talking yeah. about? <laughs> so you've been in the entertainment business for so long. You did any everything from being an intern to being like you know a host of different you know TV shows and radio shows. What was like your favorite gig that you that you've had that you've held down so far, man, besides I, besides your own show? Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty cool. But nailing it down to just one's like you know naming your favorite child, which I don't have any children, but I imagine would be a very difficult thing to do. I think that each one in my career has had a really special place because I was handed nothing throughout my career ever. 
I was never the guy who got the phone call from a TV network or even a phone call from an agent going, we've got the perfect gig for you. I worked my ass off to even just shove my foot into the door and even get an opportunity. Like my, my very first job in the industry was a job I basically lied my way into. Uh, I mean, if we take if we take it back a little bit, I had an epiphany in my senior year of college. I loved college. I was studying communication studies. I was having an awesome time there. I lived with four of my best friends. And then it hit me one day in my senior year that, oh my God, when we graduate at the end of this year, we got to go work, you know, for the rest of our lives. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't like, you know, when you're in school, if you miss a class, you miss a class, whatever you can make up for it. Well, if you decide one morning you don't feel like going to work, it doesn't really fly for very long, you know? <laughs> I think uh, you get fired after oh, a while. Yeah. So it really hit me hard that after graduating, I was going to have to do this thing for the rest of my life. And I decided in that moment, I didn't want to hate it. I didn't want to be one of those people who couldn't enjoy Sunday because Monday was the next day. So I reached out to every radio station, every TV station in my college town and just said, really passionate about broadcasting. I'm a communication studies major. Can I come in, volunteer and just see how it's done in the real world? And one radio station got back to me and said, sure, come be part of our street team. Hand out like stickers at events. This other TV station, which was a community run TV station, run all by volunteers. They said, of course, please come in. I got to work behind the scenes doing audio, VTR, floor directing, um, cameras, all that kind of stuff. And then this other radio station said, well, we don't take on volunteers, but how would you like a job? Oh, that's beautiful. Sure. Yes. Yes. They said, well, it only pays $8 an hour. So that's $8 more than I thought I was going to make. <laughs> exactly. And I was a board operator at this uh, news talk radio station. So running the board behind the scenes. And then when my shift was done, I would go into the recording booth and then record in front of a mic. So I'd have actual like demo reel. And then when it came time to graduate, I'm like, well, I think I need an internship to try to hopefully build my demo reel so I can mm -hmm. get on TV and have something to show. And this is where the lying comes in. I wasn't getting any response to any of the emails I was sending out about an internship. So I looked up the email for the general manager of this small station about an hour from my hometown. And I sent him an email and said, I'm going to be there in Peterborough, Ontario uh, in the next few weeks for spring break. If you have some time, I'd love to come by and talk to you about an internship. This was a total lie because I'd never been to this city and like, I hadn't been there like the last 10 years. Right. <laughs> but I figured if I could put myself in that city, mm -hmm. how could they possibly say no? That's true. And it worked. He said, ah, if you're going to be in town, yeah, come on by 10 o'clock. And I went in, he looked at my resume and said, well, it looks like you've done some stuff here. And because I had built it up with this volunteer work in my college town, gave me an internship. Long story short, the internship ended up turning into a job. And it was an hour away from my hometown, like I mentioned. And I, I went back to my high school job at the mall. I was working at the pet store in the fish department so I could pay for the gas to drive to my internship. <laughs> like I, like, so I think that that might be my favorite job mm -hmm. if I'm, to answer your question because I worked so, so hard to get that one. And then the next job after that was in Vancouver at MTV2 Canada. And they had no interest in bringing me in for an interview, no interest in auditioning me. And I did a really similar thing. I knew the name of the person who was doing the hiring. It was on the like application. And I called the TV station randomly and asked for her. I said, hi, hi is so-and-so there? And they said, one moment, please. And I went, oh my God, this is going to work. And I, she didn't answer the phone, but I, I left a voicemail. Mm -hmm. She emailed me right back and said, 
yeah, we're going to be looking at like applications. We'll get back to you. In the signature of her email was her direct phone line. Oh. And I gave her a call a few, a few days later and she answered the phone. I called her directly at her desk. She answered the phone. I said, hey, I'm going to be in Vancouver next week. Again, total lie. Vancouver's like a five-hour <laughs> flight from Toronto. And they ended up giving me the job. So I think it's, it's those types of stories of perseverance and like not giving up that makes me appreciate those jobs that I had early on in my career. Because that, actually, that's been the case of every job I've ever had. You know, and, that, and that's great to hear because there's other people who are out there right now trying to pursue the same dream. And, you know, they can sit there, listen to this and be like, you know what? He just went out there and like hustled his way to to get to where he is right now. And he didn't let anything stop him. He figured out like somebody's telephone number or email address. I guarantee you, if you probably would have known where they live, you maybe would have like dropped a note. By well, the- you know, I don't want to get yeah. like. I don't want to get arrested or anything. <laughs> but I've heard of stories like that where people will go and be like, hey, I know where this person likes to go and like get lunch. So I would just randomly go there and maybe bump into them and just say like, hey, aren't you such and such? You know, just to like get their attention. Yeah, there know? was a story of a host at one of the TV stations that I worked at. He sent a cake to the TV station with his face on it. Wow. And, <laughs> and they, they didn't end up responding. So then a few weeks huh. later, this is a... I, I, I can't believe this worked for him, but it did. He ended up hosting a TV show there for years. Mm-hmm. He showed up at that TV station and said, oh, hey, I've got a 12 o'clock meeting with you know the boss. And mm-hmm. they went, oh, we don't have your name here. Let me check. And then they called and said, no, we don't have your name. He said, I, I, I swear, I have a, I'm a meeting at 12 o'clock. And they went back and forth a few times. And finally, <laughs> yeah, finally, the, finally, the boss came out and said, who are you? What are you doing here? And he's like, I just really wanted an opportunity to show you what I've got. And they gave him a chance and ended up giving him a job. Oh man. That's, that's, that's an amazing story. Like just to hear that, you know, it, it, it just makes sure it makes you, you know, want to pursue it a lot more because you already know that like, if these people could do it, I can do it. And yeah. my crazy ideas are not that crazy compared to some of the things that these people do, yes. you know? So, but you hustled your way in, You've been, you know, killing it ever since, you know, it shows in the background because one of the things I want to ask you is, you know, you, you are an Emmy winner, you know, four times, you know, so how was it when you got your first win? I mean, it was, it was a really cool experience and I'm super grateful for the opportunity to even be nominated. Um, but that's when you work in the, the U.S., this is the top thing, you know, in, in the news industry. So it was a really cool thing to be considered. The first time I was nominated, I did not win. And I, I went to the awards and was just like heartbroken because I'm like, oh, everyone's walking away and I'm giving these beautiful speeches and walking away with these huge smiles. And here I am going, ah, I just got to work harder next year. And the next year I was nominated for two awards and won both. So I quickly went from a zero-time Emmy Award winner to a two-time award winner, like in one night, and it was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just a, a huge, like, incredible honor. And you know, being someone from Canada, who I started my career in Canada and was building it up in Canada, I, it actually really getting a um, getting two Emmys really ended up helping my green card process, which is a you know a, a, a com- something you would never think of. But uh, being able to win those awards like really helped that process. So now I'm fortunate to say that I've lived in the U.S. for 11 years. And like, those are a big reason why I got to stay. 
Oh man, you know what? That that's great because that that's a, a a huge accomplishment to to have. Not too many people, you know, in this industry have one of those, and they've been working, you know, hard like all their life. You yeah, know? and it's like it just means a lot to me. Especially one of them was because of a story I did about wrestling. I mean, and that was really cool to be able to tie my two passions together: my passion for broadcasting and my passion for wrestling. And it was a story I told about Gregory Iron, who's the only wrestler who wrestles despite being born with cerebral palsy. And I met him when I was in Cleveland, became friends with him, and was just super inspired by his story. And I said, you know, Greg, would you be okay if I told your story? And he was like, oh my gosh, absolutely. And for that story to be nominated and then win meant that much more to me because it was a story that meant so much to me. It was so close to my heart. And, you know, it's a, a story about my friend that I was able to show showcase to the world. Oh, man. Uh, do you guys still keep in contact now or is it a little yeah. bit harder with your schedule? No, I mean, he's still in Cleveland, so I don't see mm -hmm. him as often. Right. But I'm still so inspired by everything that he's built. And that story, if anyone wants to check it out, is on YouTube. It's called An Iron Will. And if you want to check it out, um, I mean, that was, geez, we did that story like 10 years ago or nine years ago, but I'm, I'm still, like, I still get goosebumps when I watch it back now. Oh man. So you talked about your, your, your passion for wrestling. You started to sprinkle in that a little bit. Sure. And I know a lot of our listeners is just like, okay, I want to know, I want to know about his wrestling stuff, you know? Uh, because, you know, in the wrestling world, you're known as like the, the Oprah Winfrey. Of, of interviews because everybody think about it everybody in the entertainment business you, if you have something to say or you know really big to sell you, you go to oprah you know if it, here in the wrestling world if you have something to really big to say you go to chris because we, we've seen all the interviews done through you you know you started your channel back in 2011 and we already know listening to you know your game plan of getting into the entertainment business so what was the plan when you started this this youtube channel Oh, there was no plan. Uh, there was no plan at all. It was, I kind of started it by accident. So, you know, working as an entertainment reporter, I was doing some really cool interviews and talking to some amazing people. We're talking actors and directors and comedians and celebrities. And every once in a while, you'd talk to a wrestler. And I just thought that it, we were kind of like short selling the audience of these people because unless you were watching that interview at that exact moment when it aired on TV. And at the time I was in Cleveland working for the CBS station, unless you were watching at six seventeen that night, you never saw this interview with Sylvester Stallone or Robert Pattinson or Leonardo DiCaprio or whoever I was interviewing. So I just started putting the like full length versions of these interviews on my YouTube channel, simply as a place for these interviews to live for, you know, ever other than like, airing once on the local TV station and then, you know, disappearing, never to be seen again. And every once in a while, like I mentioned, we'd have a wrestler that would come to town. They'd be promoting Raw, SmackDown, Impact, whatever it was. And I would ask my boss, like, hey, could we interview a wrestler? And when this first happened, my boss was like, yeah, we've done that before. And I went, oh my God, I'm going to get paid to talk to a wrestler. This is unbelievable. And that's really where it began. I was like, I would do these Interviews with a wrestler, 10, 15 minute interviews. We would air 30 second soundbite from that. And then I'm like, well, the other 14 and a half minutes of this interview is pretty interesting. And I asked questions that as a fan, I was interested in. I'm sure other fans would be interested too. And I think the first one I uploaded was an interview I did with The Miz in 2011. 
He was about to throw out the first pitch at the Cleveland Indians game, which, by the way, was a great first pitch. It was like 85 miles an hour, like right down the pike. It was great. I uploaded this interview. It's like a three-minute interview. But in those three minutes, he dropped a few little nuggets of knowledge that he had never talked about before in another interview. He said that he was knocked unconscious in the main event at WrestleMania 27 and doesn't remember winning the match. Like, think about that. WrestleMania moment. Standing on the top rope, winning the match, doesn't remember it. Yeah, I remember he had the um, the the documentary series they did on him, and when he said that, I was just like, "Yeah, I could I could I could only imagine the fear that was in his like the way he was feeling." Like, I, mean, not he, I don't think he, I don't think he has any clue. Like, yeah. So he dropped that, and then it was right after the pipe bomb had happened. Uh, CM Punk's CM Punk's pipe bomb, and he said that it was the greatest thing to happen in wrestling since the Attitude Era. And I put this up on my YouTube channel. Didn't think much about it. And woke up the next day and it had like 6,000 views. And like at the time, that was a ton. I was like, oh my gosh, what the heck happened here? And then the day after that, it had like 36,000 views. And I realized that the news from that interview had been picked up by a bunch of different news sites. And the video just got watched by a bunch of people. And I realized like, okay, I think we're onto something here. And every time I had a wrestling interview, I would make sure to like ask some interesting questions, put it up on my YouTube channel. And kind of go from there. And in 2018, I went, man, these wrestling interviews are really starting to gain some traction. And then I started to go out of my way to start making these wrestling interviews happen. Instead of just bringing, you know, having them when they came to me, I started driving a little bit to make these happen. Or I started, you know, oh, hey, hey, so-and-so, I'm in Las Vegas, Los Angeles, New York. You also live there. Could I come by and do an interview? And that's when it really started to pick up. And, you know, I always say vague goals get vague results. And in 2018, I think up to that point, the most wrestling interviews I'd done in a year was like 18. And mm-hmm. I went, what if I could do 40 this year? Like more than double it. And I ended up doing 50 that year. And then in 2019, I went, well, what if I could do 50 this year? Ended up doubling that and I did 100. And that was when it really started to really gained some momentum. AEW obviously was huge news in 2019. And I had a lot of access to some of those people who were my friends that had been signed by AEW. And here's the first interview with someone like a Sammy Guevara or someone like a Jungle Boy or Luchasaurus. Not first interview, but first like big interview after they were signed. Mm -hmm. And that's when it really started to pick up from there. Yeah, because I mean, you know, looking at your interviews, one of the things that I love so much about it is that you just you let them just express themselves and just talk, whether they want to let out that, you know, out of their chest, why they got released or, you know, like upcoming projects that they're working on. I think that's like, you know, you just you just let them just speak. You probably maybe say a couple of words here and there. And then the rest of them is just them talking. Um, and I think that's one of the main reasons why a lot of people, you know, go to you because they just feel so comfortable. And besides that, they're your friends. You know, you build such a good relationship with them. But, you know, for like the, as, a, as a fan, that's one of the things that I could probably say that a lot of people just enjoy. It's just like, well, we don't need to hear uh, a Q&A thing. We kind of just want to know, like, what are they thinking at that time? And you just let them express themselves. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. And there's a a quote from Larry King that I love, you know, rest in peace. And he said, I never learned anything by talking. And it's so true. I mean, Larry King was one of the greatest of all time because of that exact thing, you know? So I just think for me, it's that I'm genuinely curious. So I ask questions that I 
legitimately want to know the answer to. And my hope is that if I want to know the answer to it, that other people will want to know the answer to it as well. And you know, I'm super aware that nobody tunes into my podcast or watches my YouTube channel to see me. Like I'm very, very aware of that. It's guest driven. And like, that's the whole point of it. It's, you know, to see the people who are the guests there, which is why I changed the name of my podcast. Like I started my podcast as the Chris Van Fleet show, honestly, because I didn't know what to call it. You know, I was just taking the audio from my YouTube channel and putting it on my podcast. And I thought, well, I guess we'll just name it after me. And I quickly realized that the show's not about me. And that's why I changed the name earlier this year to Insight with Chris Van Vliet, because okay. that's what it's about. It's about taking the insight from these people who are at the very top of their game, whether they're wrestlers or actors or entrepreneurs or thought leaders, whatever they are. They got to where they're at because of a lot of the processes in their life. And I want to be able to reverse engineer that and like figure it out. So I basically sit there at the learning tree of every single one of these people and just like, ah, tell me more. <laughs> Oh, man. So has there anybody um, that you haven't interviewed that hasn't come on the show yet that you want to get on? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there's like a, a thousand people that I want to have on the show. In the wrestling world, I've said this a bunch of times, but I'll keep throwing it out into the universe. It doesn't feel like it will happen, but, you know, I'll keep saying it. Vince McMahon would be a, such a great interview. Yeah, you know, he doesn't do too many interviews. Unless I know. It's a documentary <laughs> or something. Yeah. And it's oh, man, but. I want to interview him like as the man, like uh -huh. sure. What he's built with WWE is unbelievable. I mean, the reason that you and I are talking right now is because mm -hmm. of the genius of Vince McMahon and what he built. But I want to know what makes him tick. Like what's Vince McMahon's workout routine look like? Exactly. What is Vince McMahon? How much sleep does he get? You know, like I want to know these types of things. I'm just curious because you don't get that successful by accident. And mm -hmm. I would love to know like what makes him function what makes him tick so vince mcmahon would be a great one i interviewed oprah briefly early on in my career mm -hmm. i'm so inspired by what she's built and i mean you want to talk about a great interviewer i mean <laughs> she's the best so i would love a longer conversation with her i've recently listened to a podcast with ben stiller mm -hmm. and early in my career people would tell me i looked like ben stiller so i would love to have a con i mean again a brilliant actor director writer everything a philanthropist i would love to sit down with him as well so there's a i mean three completely different people from three completely different walks of life and then of course joe rogan would be great elon musk mm -hmm. would be a great interview but yeah there's a lot of people that i'm inspired by and i would love to just be able to pick their brain so with the success of of the show like does it blow your mind because I, when i when i told you before you're like the uh the oprah of the wrestling world does it blow your mind that so many um you know wrestling talent want to uh come on your show is it something like they reach out to you or do you mostly just like reach out to them i mean that's really nice of you to say i don't know how accurate it is i mean to be even in the same sentence as oprah unless it's like Chris Van Vliet once interviewed Oprah. That's probably uh -huh. the only time when that sentence makes sense. But no, thank you. I actually think Renee Paquette is probably that person right now. Like mm -hmm. she's just crushing it. And congratulations oh, yeah. to her and John Moxley on the birth of their baby daughter. But I mean, if someone has a story to tell, uh, they're going to Renee now. And I'm happy that I've been able to get some of the interviews that I've been able to get. But mm -hmm. yeah, some of them have been from me reaching out. There's been the occasional person that's sent me a random DM and says, hey, man, I listen to the show. I'd love to come on. That was how I got the interview with David Benoit. 
he we followed each other on Instagram. And one day just sent me a random DM. And I said, of course, I'd love to hear your story. And then I flew to Las Vegas and we made that interview happen. So it's a lot of just, I think the biggest thing with having a podcast or having a YouTube channel, especially when you're relying on guests, mm -hmm. is what value can you bring? And it's, you know, if you have a platform, I have X amount of listeners. I have X amount of subscribers. Uh, I have the access to... X, Y, and Z, whatever it happens to be, I think it's so important to lead with value. Right. And I learned that early on in my career as a broadcaster and my career as a journalist. It's, I mean, look, when you're trying to get guests on your show, they're super busy, right? Like we're all busy, but mm -hmm. they're, they're very busy and their time is valuable. And I'm basically saying to them, like, I understand that your time is valuable. In exchange for your time, I can give you you know, insert whatever it is here. Right. And I think that that's a really important way to position this because, you know, the, I always say the best thing about a podcast is anyone can do it. And the worst yeah. thing about a podcast is anyone can do it. And, and that is true. And I say that because it's great that anyone can, you know, turn on their webcam or take out their phone and start being a YouTuber or a podcast. It's amazing. But the worst part about it is now you got to make yourself stand out. You know, it's a needle in a haystack. And what are you going to do to make your show stand out from everybody else who thinks they can do the exact same thing. So what advice would you give like a, a newer uh, podcast host like myself? There's only been doing it for about a year now um, as far as like getting guests and, you know, enticing them to come on a show like, like mine's like, you know, I'm grateful that you got to come on here and like, you know, give us some knowledge as far as like, you know, an insight into your world. I would say, Kenny, congratulations to you because a lot of people dream about starting a podcast. A lot of people talk about it and it just ends there. The fact that you actually did it and you've been consistent with it for the last year, like congrats to you, man, because there's a lot of people who don't stick with it. And as you know, when you're starting out and you look at those download numbers, you're like, man, why am I putting all this time and all this effort in mm -hmm. if the numbers aren't nearly as big as I expected them to be? So I think in terms of getting guests on, it's just a matter of like continuing to do it. Like just be consistent. Your guests don't all have to be WWE superstars or former WWE superstars or current AEW impact, Ring of Honor, New Japan, whatever. I would say talk to anybody who has an interesting story, which is literally everybody. Everybody has an interesting story. It's just a matter of being able to pull that out of them. And I think that when you're pitching people, it's important to go, so I've had this person, this person, this person, and this person on, which I think that sometimes like listing off that resume makes people go, oh, if that person was willing to do it, oh, I could definitely, or, or maybe they reach out to that person. Maybe they're friends with that person. They go, hey, this guy, Kenny reached out to me. Uh, what was your experience like in his podcast? Oh, it was good? Oh, great. Okay, I'll do that. I think it's important to position this in the most valuable way possible for that person. And also... I mean, I think this goes without saying, but unfortunately too many people do this when they're trying to pitch guests is don't, don't just cut and paste your, mm -hmm. your the, the, the email that you sent to this person A may not work for person B. In fact, it likes to work for person B. So I would say treat it like, like if you were going to go try to pick up a girl or pick up a guy, I think that you wouldn't, you wouldn't approach, you know, this girl with this pickup line and then, Oh, that doesn't work. I'll just go to this girl and say the exact same line. You know, it's probably not going to work that way. So I would say treat each individual situation 
as a unique situation. You know, and that's great because it's so true. Because you know, when I when I started doing this and like pitching, um, you know, like interviews to like different people, uh, I noticed it was like sometimes it wouldn't um, hit as well. So I had to change my approach a lot at the time. So like you know, hearing this is great because at least I know the things that I'm doing is actually working. Yeah, and I, and that's the thing. You'll find out what works and what doesn't work, and. You know, you'll get you'll you'll get yourself on a tear where things are really working for a while, and then maybe you know it's a little cold for a little while, but you'll definitely figure out what happens. And I think it's you'll definitely work uh, figure out what works. But I think it's important to look like five episodes ahead always. So you know you're recording this this week, but what's your next episode, and then the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that? Because if one of those falls through. Well, all of a sudden, like if you if you only have one in the can, if that one falls through, well, now what? Now you're scrambling. Oh yeah, that's true. That happened to me like the maybe like the first two months in, two three months in, I was just like, okay, I have like these people, um, I think I should be good, and then all of a sudden it was just like one person fell through, and I was like, oh man. So then I kind of just changed a lot, and you know, I'm I'm grateful now that I can like book guests on a regular basis where. It's like consistently happening for me now. So that's, you know, but I definitely understand where you're coming from when you say that. I think it's important to be, uh, to ask yourself, why do you do it? That is the most mm. important thing. If you're starting a podcast or you're starting a YouTube channel, I think the most important thing is to ask yourself, why am I starting this? Man. And if the answer is because I want to get famous, cool. Chase after that and figure out like, what the path is to get there. If the answer is, I enjoy making content. I love talking to interesting people. That's great too. You know, figure out that path and, and go down it. Oh man. But Chris, thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to let you go because I feel like we can sit here and talk for hours. Uh, but is, is there anything you want to plug in right now with any, with, with uh, a lot of my listeners? I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for having me on Kenny and wherever people are listening to this right now, you can listen to my podcast insight with Chris Van Vliet and on YouTube. It's just my name and it's my name on all social media. Chris Van Vliet, V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T. Oh man, that's great. Guys, give it up one more time for uh, CVV. Thanks, man.